to tell about this guy you all know me and me scared as hell. He comes to me at night after I call him to bed. He's burnt up like a weenie and his name is Fred. He wears the same hat and sweater every single day. And even if it's hot outside, he wears it anyway. He's gone when I'm awake, but he shows up when I'm asleep. I can't believe that there's a nightmare on my street. Happy Halloween! It is that magical time of the year, and we are here for our special, I guess this could be our Halloween episode of uh, The Film Room. Oh yeah, we we certainly timed it that way. Yeah, and this is, this is an excellent one. This is about as perfectly chosen of a Halloween episode as we could get. We are looking at one of the biggies today. Yeah, uh, we're looking at the modern day boogeyman, Freddy Krueger. Yep, the baddest of the bad. Um, of course, this is certainly a matter of opinion, but uh, it's definitely one that I hold. He's uh, terrifying. Specifically, we're looking at the film New Nightmare and, uh, and of course, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, a little less on Nightmare on Elm Street. If you're in for that, it's not going to be a big portion of the cast, frankly. Nah, yeah, just because New Nightmare ties so much into that film. Yeah, it's, it's intended as a mirror. We are doing this, of course, in honor of the recent passing of Wes Craven. How long ago was that at this point? Was that the beginning of the month? It was, it's been, I think, a couple months, actually. Really? Let me wow. check. Let me check. Um, Time flies. Wes Craven died on August 30th, 2015. Holy shit. Yeah, it's yeah. been two months. Yeah. So, you know, Craven, of course, is a legend in the horror community, and we felt like, yeah, we everybody else is doing one, so we should as well. A, lo- a lot of people are doing this movie specifically, actually. <laughs> just kind of funny. Yeah, so if you're doing this movie, I just want to state right now, I didn't listen to anything you said. Yeah. Uh, the exception being a few Twitter chats that I couldn't uh, help but overhear. Yeah, just keep ourselves fresh. Uh, this is one that I remember... Like, you know, if you've been following our nostalgia, we, you know, talk about kind of what we do remember about the film. Uh, this one I remember from a trailer on the front of the VHS tape for uh, Karina Karina. Well, there was a misplaced trailer. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I, I hadn't, from that trailer, I had no idea it was about Freddy Krueger. Then again, I'm not sure if I was entirely aware of Freddy Krueger at that time, but... I was. I mean, I certainly knew who the character was. I cer- He certainly loomed. Um, I think my introduction to the character was, weirdly enough, the Treehouse of Horror episode. Yeah. Well, he's gone for good. Now I can get back to my normal dreams. Me and Krusty winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> Bart, there's two seconds left. Now listen up. It's your basic Statue of Liberty play. With one twist, you throw it to me. Nuke Rockney called it the forward pass. Now, the clock's still running, so it's important we start this play as quickly as possible. Ah! Oh, oh, boy. Don't dream about me no more, kid. Which, by the way, is probably one of the more frightening ones. It is, and it's one of the more accurate ones. They really kind of clung to the uh, source material. They did, yeah. I mean, they they did a real homage to it. The uh, Simpsons creators were not subtly fans. Oh, God, yeah. And that really shows. Um, I, I certainly knew who the character was. I... Certainly, I hadn't seen any of the films, obviously, when this one came out in 1994, and I obviously didn't see this one for a good many years. But, I mean, there's just, there are so many elements about Freddy that make him such a great character. 
Yeah. Before we get into the the char- films and the character itself, let's talk a little bit about the the background of this film, which weirdly enough requires us to visit Johns Hopkins University. Again, we're doing this very much as an homage to Craven, uh, who was probably one of the best educated people ever to work in the field of exploitation. Uh, Craven was a dual master's in philosophy and English from uh, Johns Hopkins. Uh, he was a one-time college professor. That makes a lot of sense. It, it does. And he uh, segued from that career into the most inevitable career that all people uh, who uh, work in such uh, fields go from. He went into work in pornography. Really? Yeah, this is true. Craven worked in <laughs> pornography. Um as a behind the scenes as a writer and as an editor and possibly as a director oh my god it's not known what he did on it but he did do some work on deep throat hmm. on the film deep throat from which the shadowy figure in the nixon investigation is named yes wow yeah um craven craven had an craven really and truly started at the bottom rung of the film industry <laughs> yes he did but but he climbed his way up, and um, this film has a lot to do with how he did. He did The Hills Have Eyes. He did a few other films that were well-received. He did some TV movies that were well-received. And he came up with this idea, uh, inspired by um, a real-life uh, issue in uh, Southeast Asian communities. I believe it's Southeast Asia, where people would just die in their sleep unexplained. Hmm. And... Craven was inspired by this and came up with the idea for this uh, film. He also drew from a number of other experiences. He uh, had a childhood bully whose name I think we can all guess. <laughs> yes, this is true. Craven had a childhood bully named Fred Krueger, and he wound up getting uh, the name into two of his films. Um, he named the character Krug in uh, Last House on the Left. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. This is, uh, this is the ultimate... Uh, revenge for a bullying yeah it doesn't get much bigger than this um <laughs> craven also um was inspired by a uh, figure that had terrified him as a child and so he, he kind of took a number of steps to get there uh, once he got a script written he then took it to a bunch of studios universal and paramount both turned him down Boy, this is probably the funniest thing that I came up with in the entire research that I did for this cast. Walt Disney Productions turned him down because they wanted him to take out the killings. <laughs> um, that's not how this works. Yeah. Craven took A Nightmare on Elm Street to Disney. <laughs> yeah, boy, there's a thought. Yeah. Finally went to New Line, which did, had never produced a film before. They distributed... And they were only a distribution vehicle, but they'd never produced a film before. And this was their first production. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it wound up working out quite well for them. New Line looms large in my childhood. They're the producers, of course, of the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films. Of course. And in The Mask. Yeah. Um, Freddy very much made them. And they did not hesitate to say that. They were very open about the fact that Freddy made them. And that led them to really be one of the more interesting risk-taking studios. I think when it's all said and done, and their history is looked at, they are going to look at like one of the more intriguing major studios ever to exist. Oh yeah, I mean, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Yeah, 
they they're, they're an intriguing place. But uh, again, Craven made that movie, and I, I should note there was one interesting thing that happened during production, which was he his initial choice uh, for Freddie was not uh, Robert England. Hmm. He actually uh, the British actor David Warner was actually cast. Warner is one of those guys for whom I could tell you his name and it wouldn't ring a bell. I could list his credits and he would immediately show up. Just off the top of my head, he was the villain in Tron. He was he was not Baxter Stockman in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. And he was uh, Billy Zane's uh, right-hand man in Titanic where he was just plain awesome. Wow. Yeah, he was good in that because he was really scary. He would have made an amazing Freddy. Uh, I've seen a makeup test of him. Uh, he actually looked looked great. I mean, the makeup looked wonderful on him. He had great features for it. He had to drop out, though. Uh, he had scheduling conflicts that could not be gotten out of. So he dropped out, and Robert England jumped in. By the way, I've never seen, uh, before New Nightmare, I had never seen Robert England outside of his makeup. It's kind of weird that that's what he looks like under that. It is, it is. Um I've seen him in a number of other films where he isn't doing Freddy, so um, he, he's actually quite uh, capable. I, I, I've liked him in a lot of stuff he's done. Um, and so now that we've arrived at the film, I just kind of want to talk, before we get, go really any further into the films, about just why why do I prefer Freddy to the other big monsters, so to speak? You know, of the modern horror icons, why do I think Freddy is the best? And I do. The, the character of Freddy Krueger is fundamentally a representation of everything that we as a society currently find wrong. And I think that's what makes him such a great modern boogeyman. Mm, you're right. He's a pedophile? Um, even though that was initially not stated in the original films, Craven intended him to be a pedophile. Because of a number of recent child molestation cases at that time, he didn't want to look like he was uh, making light of it, so he made him a, a uh, murderer. But... No, Freddy was always supposed to be a pedophile, so if you want to put that as his characterization, I'm good with that, because I think that... I'm sorry, I, I don't think that adding that to his personality changes anything. I think it's pretty obvious he's supposed to be a pedophile. But, yeah, he's a pedophile. He uh, attacks children in their sleep, where they're vulnerable. He's a brutal murderer. The legendary glove. This is a man who is a violent murderer. He gets people when they're safe. He gets them when they're in their safe places. Freddy represents power against impotence. Those who fight Freddy are powerless. He holds all the cards. This, it's kind of the big irony about uh, doing this cast is uh, I had uh, at least two nightmares last night. It was kind of funny. I've not been without nightmares lately, but that had nothing to do with this movie. Um, oh, yeah. But, I mean, and that's just it. He also, he also because he has power over dreams, it reflects our own anxieties about sleep. Our, our own anxieties about dreams and about our confusion over them. He also has a personality. Jason and Michael don't have personalities. They have names. Yeah, they're, they're silent murderers. I'm not a big Friday the 13th fan. Um, I'm just not. I'm not a big Halloween fan. I mean, the first one, obviously, is a really strong film, but I don't know that the rest are all that good. I actually... I'm, okay, I'm going to take some flames on this. I actually like the Rob Zombie films more than most of the Halloween films because Zombie actually did something interesting. He created a character for Michael Myers. 
it's a cliched one, the the, uh, trauma victim. But Zombie did something really interesting with the 2007 Halloween, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. I know that movie is popular to hate if you're a horror fan, but man, I, I just can't. I think it's a really strong, interesting film. And it's one that I, I do think very highly of, actually. But yeah, Jason, I, I'm just not an I'm not a Friday the thirteenth fan. I, I I think really the mark of these two characters is that they're interchangeable. You know, the actors change throughout on them. I think the Hellraiser series would be better received if uh it hadn't like decayed so badly so fast. How many of those did they make? At least three. They made nine. No. Of the Hellraiser films, they made nine Hellraiser films. Three got released, uh, four got released to theaters. Holy shit! Yeah, I did not realize that. Yeah, most people don't realize that. Most people don't realize those movies went. Most of those went straight to video. Wow. Though for eight of them, they were played by uh, Pinhead was played by the same actor. So I will give that franchise that. You know, and of course there is one other series that we would have to note. Um, actually, there's a couple others. I mean. Yeah, the Leprechaun films have, were never very good from the start, if we're just going down our thoughts of the horror franchises. That was Warwick Davis, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Warwick Davis, who was definitely the reason to watch those, but they were never that good from the start. They're fun, though. They're fun idiot movies, and the fourth one is hysterical. <laughs> in space. Yeah, but it was in, it was supposed to be a joke. I mean, it was... It was intended, yeah. Yeah. That's Isn't that from which that cliche comes? You have to set, like, if... Once your horror uh, franchise has run out of steam, you have to set it in space. You could really probably set it with Hellraiser doing it with their fourth movie, but I think Leprechaun's the one that defines it, yeah. That that, that was the joke. Yeah. The, <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of the other horror franchises, the really the only other, you know, you've got the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, but I don't even want to get into that one because that one's a mess. I think you recommended uh, on this cast actually Jason X when when we had Matt on. Yeah, well, he let, recommended that. Let me give let me give the exception to the Friday the Thirteenth movies. I do recommend Jason X because Jason X is hysterical and goofy and silly and crazy and glorious because it is them trying to do something insane, you know. And then of course there's the Child's Play franchise, which yeah, yeah. Well, credit due to them though. It's all it's had the same di- writer and director for all not the same director but same writer for the entire yeah. series on um, all six movies, all six. So that is a unique franchise in that way, but I mean that's kind of what's notable about those. Um but anyway, so now that we've gotten all those out, you know, again, getting back to Freddy, I've seen most of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Um I did a lot of binges in college when I just didn't have anything else to do, so I watched a lot of these. And I'm not going to say that very many of these are good films, but they are really amb- they are ambitious. They are ambitious and fun and crazy. The thing about it is this is a franchise that was never supposed to be a franchise. Yeah, I think you were telling me that last night. Yeah, here's the... I mean, let's just briefly hit on our thoughts on the first film. Um... I think it holds up really well. I think the first film holds up really well. I know you just saw it for the first time. Yeah, I watched it last week. Yeah, I actually had uh, uh, New Nightmare uh, delivered to me like a month before we were supposed to record. 
So I, it was delinquent two weeks. I watched it last week, uh, back to back with New Nightmare, and um, yeah, I was really kind of surprised by a few things on it. You know, I've always, you know, it's hard to say you have a valid opinion on films you've never seen because you really don't. But yeah. the way I've always viewed that series is, you know, the first one is supposed to be, you know, good, the gold standard, and then. Like, there are six movies in total. As you go on, then they get goofier and sillier. And, like, I've seen, you know, the infamous Power Glove scene from the last film. Hey! You forgot the Power Glove! No! That's really fucking goofy. But then I watched this one and was surprised to see just how much of that goofiness was actually in the original. Yeah, I mean, it's there's definitely a, a dark sense of humor running through it from the start. Yeah, it's very subtle, very dark, um, but yeah, there is, I think my favorite example of that is when when Nancy's parents are trying to get her to go to sleep, they're like, go to sleep, hon, you know, you need, you need to sleep. She's like, okay, mom, I will. Her mother leaves the bedroom. She grabs a complete uh, coffee maker from under her nightstand. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, this is a movie very definitely done by someone with a definite sense of humor. Um, yeah. Which Craven was known for. Um, that was something that just about everybody who uh, eulogized him, that was one of the first things they brought up was his sense of humor. And oh boy, am I going to have my thoughts on that when we get to the next film. Oh yeah, I, I greatly enjoyed just that, that undercurrent. Yeah, there's, there's a very self-referential line where uh, Nancy at one point says, I look like I'm 20. And the actress was was either weeks away from or already twenty. But anyway, yeah. So I mean, there's just there there is this very definite self referential humor already present in the series. Um, and the kills in the first movie are really they're memorable. They are. There are some memorable ones like that. There are a lot of parallels between, of course, between the first one and the uh, new nightmare. And um, one of them is the infamous. This is also a film with really great effects. mm Hmm. I mean, 1984, it's in full form, some of which, frankly, I don't know how they did. Like the um, like the very first kill, dragged up the wall by Freddy. And... Yeah, and it's just a good old-fashioned camera trick. It is, yeah. But it works. Yeah, and can't tell how they did it, but it's, like, it's still amazing to watch. And, and that one was shot on a budget of $1.1 so, I mean, it was, which, not much by today's standards, but... Also, not nothing by their standards. I mean, it, it's it's it is. Yeah, I mean the the kills are really interesting. You've got the blood fountain. Oh yeah, the infamous. Yeah, um, that's the Johnny Depp kill. Yeah, this was uh, of course this was Depp's first movie, which most people know, and it, it's it's a good first movie. I think if you're going to make your first appearance, make it in an icon, make it in an iconic film. Yeah, one of the one of the most. I think one of the most hilarious things in the first film is that Nancy has been telling them about, oh yeah, this this guy has been after me in my dreams. He's scary. He has knives for fingers, and he's you know his name's Freddy Krueger. And you know the parents obviously know something, mm -hmm. you know know that because you know it's revealed that all the parents kind of got together and and killed this child murderer when the courts wouldn't. Even at, even at that, nobody believes her. Yeah. And even after seeing the result, like the results of the blood fountain and how all, nobody believes her, it's like, 
wow i mean <laughs> how else it, it's it's absurd and yeah and to a certain degree this ending would have made a lot more sense if the original ending had been put on the film let's be clear craven did not want a franchise he did not want sequels he did not want under no circumstances did he want that so he intended the entire movie to be revealed as a dream with everybody still alive you can even see very clearly how the studio crammed that ending onto the film for the record both endings were shot but the crammed on one is the one that got released yeah i mean that's the only thing that's the only real problem i had with the film i think is that you know she defeats him saying well you know, I'm going to take away your power. And then he kind of fades into nothing. And then they have, like, the morning scene where it's like, Oh, yeah, hey, honey, blah, blah, blah. And you know something's up. You know it's not over. But at the same time, it's like, what the fuck is going on? It's, I don't know. And it doesn't even make sense when you stop to really think about, well... It doesn't, no. It doesn't hold up under under scrutiny. It's a difficult ending. The uh, sequels have always kind of struggled with it. Um, the second one kind of crammed it in a bit, like trying to deal with some establishment that, well, Freddy killed her mom, ultimately. But then that's like, well, then whose dream was it? I, I, I don't know. Did they, did Freddy take them all to hell? Like, what? What, what was going on? Yeah, yeah. I... I'm of a split opinion on this. Um, on one hand, I think Craven was right. It was the right ending for his film. On the other hand, man, that ending would have robbed us of something really nice to have in modern cinema. I mean, I don't know. I think maybe the way to do the ending is to keep Craven's ending and then find another way to do a sequel. Uh, I don't know. The franchise, of course, this movie was a, was a monster hit. It made New Line. It was just... It was a mega hit. They immediately did another movie with a very interesting Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, which is universally viewed as the most obvious cinematic allegory for coming out ever in horror. <laughs> uh, this has pretty much been confirmed by multiple people who worked on the movie, that that was their intention. This isn't even a random theory. People who worked on the movie said, yeah, that's what we were doing. Yeah, this is the gayest movie ever. Yeah. It's it's pretty gay. It's an interesting movie, though. It's actually not a bad sequel, either. There's scenes in an S&M club. Um, yeah, he's Robert England said that, yeah, obviously it's intended as that. The lead actor was um, out of the closet at some point. And, yeah, the screenwriter openly admitted, yeah, I intended this. I, I mean, so there, there, is that, there is something interesting to that. Um, second movie's interesting. Um... Just to be clear, I'm not going to hit on all the films, but I have to talk about that because everybody talks about it. But let's just be clear. The homosexuality uh, subtext of the second movie is hard intended. So go on ahead and talk about that. Go on ahead and analyze it. It's there. It's hard canon. It's hard canon. Um, the third movie, Craven was asked to come back. And he didn't want to direct, but he did come up with a story. The story was this. People working on a Nightmare on Elm Street movie are menaced by Freddy. I'm guessing that one got rejected. That one got rejected. New Line said, nope. And then Craven did come up with another story that he worked on, but his script ultimately got heavily rewritten by a number of very talented writers, actually. I mean, you look at the people that worked on this. Um, Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, who did the Blob remake, 
And uh, isn't he also the name behind The Walking Dead? Yeah, Darabont went on to work on The Walking Dead, um, The Green Mile, The Mist, and The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I didn't know he was involved in that. That's cool. Yeah. Let's see, Russell went on to work on uh, The Mask, and that then that was about the last thing he did that I think anybody remembers. Yeah, he didn't have a good. He didn't have a lot of luck after that one. Um, so you had that. I mean, so you had there were some talented people. Um, really, you look at the directors that worked on the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and they were some decent talents. Because okay, you had uh, the director of the second one did The Hidden and a few other cult horror films. The third one was Russell. Uh, Rennie Harlan did the fourth one, and. Harlan's gone on to do a number of interesting... He did The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is awesome. He also did some very bad movies, but let's let's focus on the one that I really like. Stephen Hopkins, who did um, a few interesting films, did a lot of 24, did um, the fifth one, and then uh, Rachel Towley, who did um, Tank Girl, did the sixth one. Okay, so that, that covers pretty much that series. The series then went on... And it went in through, let's be clear, there was humor at the start. The series went went through some serious decay, though. Yeah, I can imagine. The directors stayed interesting. The scripts, so did not. Uh, I do think the franchise decays visibly over time, and that's largely due to the fact that between, that in seven years, they pumped out six movies. I was going to say, um, like, I didn't know, uh, I actually did go through and watch all the trailers for the films and yeah i could see that um yeah but watching new nightmare they're like oh yeah this is the 10 year anniversary it's like it is isn't it yeah that's a lot of films like that's that's the equivalent today i think of uh churning out a lot of paranormal activity films in Mm. that short time i think the saw franchise is probably the best example there you go yeah yeah I heard that one has actually has a nice uh, overarc to it. First three movies do. Oh, not so much after. The problem is the first three movies have a nice arc, a nice interesting plot line, and then the killer dies of cancer mm. in the third one. Yeah. Yeah, that's something the franchise never quite overcomes. Yeah. I mean, they hand it, it winds up getting handed off to an apprentice. But really, that's kind of a bad move to have your central character die of cancer before the franchise is really even halfway done. Um, wow. Yeah, the, 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 the Saw movies are, they're, they're an interesting case. Let's put it that, let me put it to you that way. Um, but that brings us to where we are now with this movie, um, with New Nightmare. Again, 10 years have passed. Horror itself has kind of burnt itself all as hard as it's going to burn out. At this point, really, Freddy was kind of on ice. They killed him off in the final nightmare, but not really any different. I think the only real difference was that they didn't have a sequel hook at the end of Freddy's Dead. They didn't put a sequel hook on it. That's about the only difference between that and any of the other films. That's, I think, the only way that he's supposed to quote-unquote be dead. But that one stayed dead for a while. Really, what New Line was doing was waiting so that they could get Freddy vs. Jason off the ground. Which I will touch on a little bit at the end of this cast, because I, I have seen Freddy vs. Jason, and I have a lot of thoughts on it, actually. I, I really, really dig that film, actually. And So anyway, so that brings us to this film. And man, we've gotten 36 minutes in, and we're just now touching on this movie this is gonna be a long cast i know this is gonna be a long cast but oh well 
I'm fine with that because I want to talk about this movie at some length. Craven finally got to make the, his pitch for the third movie at this point in time. To do the film, he brought back uh, Heather Langenkamp, who played uh, Nancy. He There's a number of cameos from actors throughout the franchise in this one. Oh, there are, yeah. Uh, Robert England, of course, is back as Freddy. Uh, a number of the New Line executives are in the film as themselves. Uh, Craven himself plays a central role in the film. Uh, just a few scenes, but they're very vital scenes. And the movie takes the, the same basic premise that Craven had. Well, sort of. The idea of this movie is this. There is an entity that has existed throughout time and history. A demon. That the only way that it can be captured is in stories. To tell stories that capture the evil of this demon, so to speak. This entity. It has to be bound up in stories, and it's come to like being bound up in Freddy's. There's a strong tie to the idea of the witches in fairy tales. It's strongly implied that it was the witch in Hansel and Gretel, that it's had many forms throughout history, but that what happens is either the character gets killed off or the story gets decayed, which, <laughs> wow, does that feel like Craven talking about how he feels about the franchise. When the character gets weak, it starts to come back over into this form. And the only way to trap it is to tell a new story. And uh, so what happens is that uh, Langenkamp starts to find herself menaced by this entity. Uh, her and the other people who've worked on the films start to have nightmares. They start to have nightmares about Freddy. It's also suggested that that was Wes Craven's um, inspiration for the first film was that he kept having these nightmares about this entity and he had to put it on film. Mm -hmm. The nightmares were directing it more than him. Yeah, that's that's explicitly stated in the film at one point. Yeah. So it goes that uh, people start to die in the real world. Not that many, though. If you're watching this movie expecting a kill fest, you're going to be sorely disappointed. There are only two on-screen deaths in the entire movie. Yeah, and, and two off-screen. Two off-screen. Uh, okay, and then there's sort of a fake-out that may turns out to not be so fake uh, in a dream sequence. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, if you're coming to this movie expecting a lot of blood and guts, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Uh, the kills in the movie aren't really even all that bloody, frankly. There is something I want to note that's a nice touch. Uh, the kid in the film, Heather's son, who plays a very central role, has a little stuffed toy dinosaur that he claims protects him from Freddy. And uh, at one point, the dinosaur, of course, gets slashed. And they go to the babysitter to sew it up. And you see you see later that it's been sewn up with red thread. Mm-hmm. Red and green. Red and green, yeah, which is a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of great visuals in this film. This is a movie that I really, I almost don't want to talk too much about the plot of this movie because, because this is one that I'm going to, I'm just going to say right now, I'm recommending this one thoroughly. This is, this is a trippy film. This is a movie that fundamentally exists as a vehicle for a lot of social commentary. Oh yeah. And, and commentary on the nature of horror itself. There's a, um, like you were talking about, you know, the, the evil entity has to be contained in the story, and that's kind of what a horror movie is. Kind of a way to experience that, but safe. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because it's contained in the movie. These are ideas that are probably going to start to sound very familiar to people who've seen Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah. This one was there 18 years earlier. Let's just, I mean, this one was there a good 18 years before that film. Let's be clear. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you've been saying, this is probably a better commentary on it. I think so. I, th- I, think, I think so. I think you're right. I-, I don't know that I think that it's a better film just because I really love Cabin in the Woods. Oh, same. But I, I think that these two probably would make for an amazing double feature. I'll say that. Yeah, they would. One of the, again, I, there's so many levels of this film. This, this is, it's, it's a frustrating film almost to talk about because you want to talk about so much of it. I, I suppose before I get into some of the depth of it, I really should say, as a film, it's a tremendously effective film. It's, um, I will say, Langenkamp is not much of an actress. I, I, I do have to get that complaint out of the way right now. She, this was more or less one of the last films she made before she got out of the industry. She's okay, but she's really only in this film for her iconic status um, as the first final girl of the Freddy series. Doesn't didn't you say that she uh, she works in special effects now? Yes, yes, yes. That's one of the interesting reality subtexts of the film. In the film, she's married to a special effects technician. In real life, that is her her fate. She's now credited under her married name and works on special effects movies. Um, just for the just for the heck of it, because I'm having some fun with this, and because I've got the access, let me look up some of the films she's worked on. Yeah, that'd be good to know. Uh, I can tell you right off the bat that one of the movies that she's done is one that we've already discussed. She did, in fact, do work on Cabin in the Woods. Oh, really? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, as I said, she more or less... This was the one of the last movies that she really did any lengthy work on. Uh, she's done some small roles here and there, but this was one of the first ones. She has four makeup department uh, credits. The, among those films, Dawn of the Dead, Cinderella Man, Evan Almighty, and sure enough, Cabin in the Woods. Very nice. Yes. That is an impressive uh, string of work. Yeah, so she's she's worked on those. She's worked on those. Um so she has kind of that's kind of an interesting uh, resume there, I think. Um, so that's the, the uh, so that's where she is now. Um, yeah, she works uh, with with her husband. This was, by the way, something that was uh, current as of when the film was made. Um, that she was married to an effects technician. They didn't use the guy's actual name, and they didn't use her actual husband, of course. But yeah, there is a lot of reality subtext in this film. Uh, one of the key themes of the movie is that she's got a stalker. That happened in real life, too. Uh, Craven worked that in uh, as well. He works a lot of reality into this movie. Yeah, kind of a scary amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I said, working the, working the details of what you're... Admittedly, it worked out really well for the film's story that she was married to an effects technician. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's uncannily effective uh, to work that layer of reality into the film one thing that was not planned but that they wound up working in anyway was that there were earthquakes as just like an idea in the film like that there were earthquakes rattling la which is not obviously a tremendous stretch Uh, oh no but in fact early 1994 was an extremely earthquake heavy time for the uh, san andreas fault so a lot of uh, the shots of earthquake damage that you see in the movie are real. And they're kind of implied to be, well, the result of this reality, you know, 
of reality being warped. You know, if you go in kind of knowing uh, where some of this comes from, it is, it just makes it more scary. Yeah, because this is a movie that really and truly, this movie plays with reality as much as Adaptation did. Oh yeah, it it it, it fucks with you. It does, and it does it in the best way. So yeah, the movie has a lot of fun playing with reality. There are multiple moments where we're not sure what level of reality we're in. And again, because the movie is integrating our reality into it, it's very, it's 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 a head spinner. Um, it helps that the movie is very well shot. Um, oh yeah, Craven just plain knew how to shoot a movie. I mean, he knew how to shoot a movie. He knew how to, uh, you know, make an attractive looking movie. There's some great shot choices throughout. It's a very well lit film. That's something you don't usually see in movies like this. Is that it's a very well lit film. It's a very cleanly lit film, and I thought that was un- that was just something unique. The guy that shot, uh, I'm looking up the DP's credits. He hasn't done a lot of stuff that was particularly notable, but it's a well shot film. I, I it looks good. It it's perfectly passable is the way that I would put it. Um, in terms of the photography, it is very well lit. And that that is kind of an di- interesting difference between a lot of horror movies, is it's not so reliant on shadows and something jumping out at you. Yeah, no, it's um, it's very much, ironically enough, in the light of day. And that's that makes it just more frightening. Yeah, because... Because you're not safe. <laughs> you're not safe. Exactly. Yeah. Even... Even the kills that take place at night are really well lit. Uh, there's that great shot um, of the uh, glove just crawling up and, and cutting through. And ew, it's it's that was stop motion. That was amazing stop motion too. Um, I did not know that was stop motion. Jeez, I'm almost certain it had to be stop motion. Uh, I don't think it was CGI. I don't. There are some shots in this that were probably CG. But it was too early to be extensive CGI. Oh yeah, I know. I definitely know that there the scene where they're in the the quote unquote final nightmare, um, and Freddy's basically trying to eat the kid. Like I know that mouth stretching thing was at least the transformation bit was CG. Yeah, I mean, there's some clear morphing and such. Um, yeah, yeah, which is kind of common for that era. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's a very good looking movie. Uh, Twenty one years later, it still looks great. Uh, it still looks. Oh, it sharp. does. Yeah. Um, the effects are really good on it. Um, but really, what I mean, really, again, what this movie comes down to is it really rests on the script. Oh, it does. A script which is seen on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are multiple times in the movie where we see exactly what's being said and done in the script. Yeah. Just. I mean, the the script itself is a prop at multiple times in the film, which is something that was, of course, repeated in adaptation. Oh, of course. Yeah, this movie, by the way, predates adaptation by eight years. So I, I don't want to say that Charlie Kaufman might not have been as original as he thinks he is, but I'm kind of going to go on ahead and say that. I don't know that this that this movie shouldn't be discounted. Um, I'm not saying Kaufman even saw the film, but I'm just saying this movie really did kind of get there first to a great degree. And other films have done it too. Let's be clear. There were other films before this one, but... And I think this is probably the only one that has used that that's not a comedy. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it is interesting. I mean, this is a movie that 
It's playing with some really huge ideas. And it's in a franchise that had devolved so far away from these, from being in a place to examine them. So it's really fascinating that Craven got to do this. To do this strange, weird meta movie. One thing that we have to talk about is the culture that this movie took place in. I don't know how well you remember the media culture of 94. You're a few years younger than I am. I do remember it. Vaguely, I mean, the only real thing, the first like quote-unquote media circus i remember is oj OJ simpson which was that time yeah you know that's actually really relevant um of course this movie was in the can before oj really got going um yeah but you had you had a very divided media because on one hand there was this idea of attacking the violence in media this was the first time where the video game scares were starting to go on Uh, The fears about violence in video games, the fears about violence in TV and movies, and the fears about how did that impact them? How did that impact kids? And I've been asked to tell you that the following show is very scary, with stuff that might give your kids nightmares. You see, there are some crybabies out there, religious types mostly, who might be offended. If you are one of them, I advise you to turn off your set now. Come on, I dare you. Chicken. I have a lot of very complicated thoughts on that. We're going to be getting to those in a few weeks, though. Like, my opinion on that is the answer is ultimately no. No, I, I, ultimately no, but ultimately um, I have a lot of thoughts on how we uh, make this material accessible. Again, we will be hitting on that very soon. We will. Very, very soon. We've been promising it from the beginning of the cast. We're getting there uh, within the month. So let's just, I mean, this. so you had this climate where there was all this fear about violence in media and about how is that affecting people. And you also at the same time had this focus in the news about the goriest details of the most horrible murderers. I mean, you could pick up a newspaper and hear about the Simpson murders. And by the way, these, this was not an important trial. In terms of what it meant to the pop culture, this really should not have been what it was. The OJ trial was a tremendous farce on every level, including the prosecution. Really, they had some of the most incompetent prosecutors I've, I can picture. Ugh. Ugh. Like, I was nine at the time. Well, I get, well, no, I was eight at the time. Even I knew the fucker was guilty. Yeah, the guy was just, I mean, the guy was point blank guilty. There's no question about that. Uh, you know... I don't care. The DNA evidence points to the fact that he definitely did it. Let's just call it what it is. Furthermore, he had motive, he had opportunity, he had ability. He also had a history of domestic abuse. Come on, this was ridiculous. Um, The OJ trial was a farce, and so you had this weird dichotomy in the media. And Craven takes advantage of it. He talks about that so much in this movie. Constantly, Langenkamp is being asked, because her son is troubled... You haven't shown him any of the films you've made, have you? The horror stuff? His father just passed away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. People castigate her nonstop in the movie because of what she did. They perceive her as dark. In truth, she's depicted as a fine mother. Um, I One of the things that I stumbled upon in my research in, you know, looking through the stuff for the IMDb is she's been married for 25 years, stable, solid person. 
no, these movies do not affect people. Uh, Craven himself had a solid, decent life. Uh, and again, was an extremely educated man. Uh, uh, England is known for his stability. Yeah, so I think some of the sanest people I know are big horror fans. Yeah, some of the sanest people I know. And uh, uh, I know Beck is a huge horror fan as, you know. Yeah, Amanda's a huge horror fan. Um, furthermore, you can just go down the line and look at the people that work in horror and a lot of them tend to be devoted family people i mean it doesn't have any impact is my point uh brad dorif uh who of course was the uh voice of uh the league yes his daughter is in uh the newest of those films oh really yeah his daughter acts alongside him in them horror is i'm sorry uh you know for Furthermore, a lot of horror creators, their children often go into the business, too. Um, uh, not just uh, the most n- notable example, of course, of uh, Joe Hill following his dad. David Cronenberg's son is in horror. Um, a lot of them. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, and it's a stupid idea. And furthermore, a lot of people I know who watch these movies growing up, they don't go on to become dangerous. If you're violent, you're violent. That's just all there is to it. If you're in a home where you're kept from seeing this stuff, you're probably still going to be violent. You're just violent. That's just all that there is to it. Exactly. That, that's me getting off on a rant here, and I'm trying to stay apolitical on it, but I'm just saying, the. Uh, that said, I do definitely feel like you should probably limit what you expose your kids to, just out of basic sanity. Yeah, just, you know, don't... Uh... You're gonna give them nightmares. <laughs> yeah, you're going to. Inf- your your kid. It's just not gonna be pleasant for your kid. But the point that Craven is making in this movie is that the people that work on these movies are treated as if they're treated with suspicion, and it's like, well, what's wrong with you that you would do this? You know, what's wrong with you that you'd be into this? And I firmly believe that's Craven talking about his own experiences. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it. This is obviously a man who has things to say. Yeah. And I, I agree with him. Because um, he really is right. I mean, this is... Again, this woman is constantly being bombarded by people who treat her with suspicion. And that seems ridiculous, except that it's not. But there's a flip side to that coin that Craven talks about at length, too. And this is the real reason that I'm glad he didn't do the movie in 1987. Well, I guess it would have been released because it actually came out on my third birthday, um, the third one. I believe this. I do believe this. The decision to try to have done that movie in 1987 wouldn't have worked for one simple reason. Freddy wasn't an icon then. This movie routinely makes comments about Freddy's iconic status. Oh, yeah, yeah. Freddy Krueger with the claws. Is that who he's afraid of? You have let your child see your films haven't every kid knows who freddy is he's like santa claus or king kong or yes and you know what that's a bold comparison to say about your own creation but it just it just happens to be true it's very true craven is able to get away with treating this character as a mega icon because freddy is in fact that mega icon there's the shot when langenkamp is uh 
on the uh, talk show and uh, Robert England comes out as Freddy and like the audience is just cheering him on and you know high-fiving high-fiving him with the glove and you see how that audience responds to it and and uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken I think a few of the audience members actually have replicas of the glove yeah a few audience members have replicas of the glove a few audience members are dressed up Okay, I'm going to point out right now that I've seen movies where they try to treat non-stars as stars, and there is nothing more cringeworthy when somebody is treated as a big deal and they're not in a movie or on a TV show. Haven't you seen that a million times before where people are like, oh my god, it's this person, and you're like, who? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, the person that uh, they're trying to make famous this week. Uh huh. It's irritating. I didn't feel a fr- I didn't feel even the slightest twinge of that in this case because Freddy really is that character. Really, I think it's a really cool thing that they actually have Robert Eglin show up in full makeup at this moment. Yeah, uh, because of what f- it's it illustrates the difference of um, Freddy's design later, like the quote unquote real Freddy when he shows up. He looks scarier yeah when the entity is showing up as freddy freddy looks terrifying uh the makeup on this movie is just jaw-dropping it is it, it's really something to study it's 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 just incredible um yeah uh, but, I mean, you're right. Seeing the classic design, which looks almost anemic next to the entity design, is it's 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 fascinating. Yeah, and I think one of the great illustrators of that, and this is why I'm really glad that I decided to go back and watch the first film, because they have a, there's a, there are a lot of ties. Mm-hmm. It would take us too long to list every single tie. Let's just leave it at that. The two films are intended as mirrors. Yeah, but I think the greatest example of that is the opening shot of the first film is the glove being made. You know, the sharpening of the knives, the knives being hammered into leather, and him trying it on. New Nightmare opens with, of course, it's revealed to be a nightmare, but it's the it's a robotic prop of the glove being made, and it's scarier. Yeah. It is like ten times scarier because, well... You know, it's demonstrated it can move on its own, and it's made of metal, and and it has much sharper claws. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. Yeah, it's it's very effective. That's kind of the the best example of like the parallels and what he was tr- what he's trying to do with the film. I mean, there's multiple shots that are repeated one to one. I just I have to get back to the iconography. As I said, again, it would have been irritating if if the character hadn't actually been this character. But I think that that really actually makes the movie that much more effective. You do this movie with a character we've never heard of. I don't think it works as well. Yeah. But this is playing with someone who really and truly is a horror icon. This really is a character. Uh, in the 20 years since this movie has come out, Freddy only seems to loom larger as an icon. I mean, yeah, we've had the remake, which I'm just going to pause and acknowledge. The remake has mixed reactions. I've heard some people really love it, some people really hate it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I'm not addressing it. The only the only thing I'll have to say about it is 
uh, I think I made a tweet recently that said, uh, uh, you know, I think it's kind of funny that we as a culture have kind of decided to forget about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Yeah, yeah, because pretty much nobody wants... When there is talk of doing another one, people want England back. Um, yeah. I don't know that we'll yeah. ever get that, to be fair. I don't know that we ever will. I think it also says something that Rorschach couldn't have been enough of a Freddy for us. I know. And he's terrifying. Yeah, I, I love Jahiro Haley. He's awesome. Uh, I'll say this. The makeup on Freddy in that one was terrible. The makeup on him. They, they tried to make him look like a real burn victim. And that's not actually very scary. But that's that's my thoughts on, on the remake is I haven't seen it. I'm not going to judge it unfairly. I know people who really love it. I know people who really hate it. I don't know. I mean, as I said, but Freddy still looms. He's still someone who you say Freddy and immediately everybody's going to think Freddy Krueger. So getting to work with this iconography that people do know, it really gives the film a lot of power because... We're like, okay, we, we know what they're working with, and it's fascinating. I I don't know. Of course, there's something else that we have to talk about, and that is Craven responding to the series itself. He only gets a few blows in, I noticed. I noticed Craven only gets just a few very pointed barbs in at the franchise, but man, does he seem angry when he uh, is dealing with the franchise. Yeah. He was not a fan to I'll be polite and say he wasn't a fan. He actually openly said he really did not like the movies. Yeah. There's a scene, um, not sure if this is one of the scenes you're talking about, but there's a scene on the talk show where they ask... I mean, the original five very popular sequels, how has all this success affected you personally? Well, I don't know if it really has, Sam. I, God, with the exception of one and three, I pretty much stayed out of it. Yeah, that, that, that felt very much like Craven going well, because that's... The... That's a dismissal, basically. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> Behind the scenes, Craven really, really... I'll be polite and say he disliked them, but yeah, he was not a fan. And I don't think he... I, I Again, I actually like the films more than most of the horror franchises, but I don't think that he's wrong that the initial ideas did stray away. Freddy got to be too much of a comedian. Like, they were funny what? movies, but Freddy got to be too funny. Yeah, yeah. It became all about the puns. <sighs> this boy feels the need for speed. Want a sucked face? No. How's this for a wet dream? Told ya! Comic books was bad for ya! Yeah, that was just bad. That was just bad. It's not even a pun. I mean, this definitely felt like Craven. You know, at one point he he even says, when listing the reasons that the entity might get loose, it's like, well, you know, sometimes the character gets diminished by too many sequels. Well, in this nightmare in progress, then does this thing have any weaknesses? Oh well, it can be captured sometimes. Captured? How? Well, by storytellers, of all things. I mean, every so often they imagine a story good enough to sort of catch its essence, and then. For a while, it's held prisoner in the story. Like the genie in the bottle. Exactly. Exactly. But the problem comes when the story dies. And that can happen in a lot of ways. It can get too familiar to people, or somebody waters it down to make it an easier sell, you know? However it happens, when the story dies, the evil is set free. 
Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's that's not that's not at all subtle putting it in putting the words in your own mouth. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the that that's that's just not at all subtle. Um and I don't I don't blame Craven at one bit. I mean, it would be frustrating. But I think he does a good job of writing the ship. Even though it will be not even though after this movie it was a full 9 years until Freddy showed up on the big screen again. Yeah, even though this was kind of the last gasp for a good many years, and this was also the next to last time that uh, England would play the part. But still, I mean, he makes a good point. I mean, this as a commentary on how sequels do tend to drain the well, I mean, he's not wrong. That's just saying that it's really stayed with me. I mean, God, I've got, I've st- I've got so much on this film, but... Yeah, I like that, like, there is a definite point, like, I think as the film goes on, uh, you do sort of, like, you know, as she's questioning her sanity, you sort of question yours, too. Yeah. Because a lot of things take on very dreamlike qualities. Like, there is a definite point where she does find herself, uh, basically in the film universe again. Mm Mm-hmm. Where you know she interacts with someone with you know the actor who played her father in the film and uh... why are you calling me Nancy John? Why are you calling me John? Would you call Robert? Robert? Robert England. You know the guy who plays Freddy. Freddy who? Freddy Krueger. Nancy, Freddy's dead. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's and of course that scene's an almost direct lift from the original movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it, it even uh if I'm not mistaken, it even switches over to the cinematography of that movie. It does. It it does. There's a yeah. there's a clear attempt to mimic that. Um Yeah, which is nice. It it is. There's also again the parallel between Hansel and Gretel and you know, the fact that they give this kid sleeping pills mm-hmm. and he hasn't been taking them. And he basically leaves a trail of sleeping pills for his mother to follow. You know, just like the breadcrumbs. And she realizes, oh, he's giving me a way to go in and help him. Yeah, that's really effective. Um, Ah, yeah, that was nice. It's a very well set up movie. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it's it's an airtight script. Um, It's it's a really well... By the way, that kid really was creepy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that was uh the kid was a good actor yeah he did a good job um what is going on you didn't let him watch the movie on tv did you i don't know i mean yeah that that was that was really clever the way that the fairy tale imagery was played with it was interesting of course, one thing I have to point out is Craven does get his ending that he wants on this movie. Uh, yeah. It does end on a clear, unambiguous, light note, which is interesting. I mean, he it, it sort of he sort of gets the ending he wanted. And what I think is really funny, again, with going back to the um, full spoilers, by the way, the notion of kids shouldn't be watching horror movies, kids shouldn't be, you know, because it will make them whatever, 
and um you know there are a few times when when she walks in on him basically watching the first movie mm-hmm. the implication is of course the tv kind of turned itself on and did that you know and she keeps trying to shield him from it the the film ends with her after they defeated freddy and they come out of the dream you know they're together and uh, they're in her room and he, she finds a newly a newly pressed finished version of the script of new nightmare this the film is it a story yeah it's a story read me some we open on an old wooden bench there's fire and tools and a man's grimy hands building what soon is revealed as a gleaming set of claws. And it winds up forming a recursive loop. Yeah, it does. But, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, now that the evil is defeated, I think you can handle this. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, this is, this is a, I mean, again, so many of these movies are so disposable. You know, at least the ones later on in the franchise. So it really is interesting how much this movie really does have to discuss and to dissect. It really holds up well to it, too. Um, this, is a, this is a very... It's such a thoughtful film. I mean, this really reflects the education that Craven had. I mean, I mean, it's very much a college professor giving his interpretation of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Oh, yeah, I can believe that. And, and it it's effective. I mean, I will say this. It's... It's not loaded with what we think of as traditional scares in movies, but it's definitely it's definitely scary. It's more that it's got this very oppressive atmosphere to it. Yeah, it's 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 more cerebral horror. Yeah, which you know I think you're mentioning that this film does not uh, did not do as well upon the initial release. It was it was critically acclaimed. Actually, it has a seventy seven percent at Rotten Tomatoes, so it was well liked by critics. But it only, by the way, here's a mark of how well the franchise had gone. It only did 200% of its budget at the box office. <laughs> only did. That's all it did was 200%. It only, it petered out at $16 million. Not much. Even in 1994, not much. Um, yeah. But it made its way back. It was not a technical flop. No, it, it was, nobody got fired over it. Um but it kind of did help keep Freddy on ice for a bit. Um, of course, what really helped keep Freddy on ice was the fact that New Line really, really, really wanted that Freddy vs. Jason movie. Yeah. And they spent well over nine years in development hell on the film. They could not make that thing work. They took pass after pass. There are, there are so many... There are, you could fill... You could fill a shelf with every... You could fill a bookcase with every script that they took at it. Wow. Um, yeah. And when they finally settled on one, yeah, they probably made the best one they could have made. Barring uh, this prospect of what the original ending would have been. Yeah, but barring the prospect of what the original awesome ending would have been. I think it's interesting that they pretty well established that the stalker that she's you know that's pretending to be freddy you know he makes a clear statement it is not robert england pretending to be freddy yeah you know this is not what's happening here yeah like, they make a very clear statement on that yeah we see england and he, it's definitely not him yeah and they even have a phone conversation 
where he's painting. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious to know if that's actually a hobby of his. I uh, you know I I'm gonna actually look that up right now. Uh, I would not surprise me. Is the thing. Um, but yeah, there's there's a line where he's, where he's um, you know, and he kind of as they're talking, you know, he doesn't think it's strange because obviously he's kind of going through some of the same things, you know, creepy nightmares and. Uh, you know he know he knows something, and uh, one of the things he says is, "You're having nightmares about Freddy, as in me." No, it isn't you. He's scarier. He's darker, more evil. Yeah. How did you know? Call it a guess. The camera pans up to look at what he's painting, and it's. Yeah, demonic Freddy, basically. I also wouldn't be surprised if, if he did do that, um, that 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 the painting represented in the film wasn't actually his. I wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but anyway, but yeah. But anyway, getting back to this film's reputation, it didn't do so well with. It did well with critics. It did only okay with audiences. But we have to understand, no horror movie was doing well with audiences at that point. Ninety four. 93, 94, 95 were pretty much the nadir for horror. Uh, for one thing, a lot of the small independent companies were just going direct to video. It was just not a good time for theatrical horror, and it wouldn't be again until 1996, which I will touch on in a moment. Actually, let's go ahead and do that, because I'm thinking about chronology. As I said, it didn't do so well. Um, 1996, of course, brought the rebirth of horror with one movie that we will probably get to next year. We'll probably touch on the Scream franchise next year. Yeah, Scream came along, and I'm just going to say it right now. I think Scream pales next to this one. I, yeah. I don't like Scream as much as I like this one. Yeah, the, uh, I think... I haven't seen Scream, but from what I understand, both of them tried to accomplish the same thing. They did, and I just don't think this one is... I just think this one's better. I just think this one's a much better film. Um... It goes without saying, of course, both films share the same director. But both movies are Wes Craven adventures. I just prefer New Nightmare. A uh, New Nightmare is New Nightmare is a lecture. Um, New Nightmare is a college lecture. Scream is a high school uh, class conversation. That's how I feel about the two films. I'm gonna prefer the college lecture. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a well-acted film. I think it's a well-shot film. I think the original is the best of the three, no question. Or best of the four, because I forget the four. four. Yeah. Which uh, all four would be go on to be directed by Wes. I think four would be ultimately be his last film. Four was his last film. Um, which, you know, I've not heard that the fourth one was very good. But I also can't really feel like it's a bad thing to go out on one of your signature film franchises. Um, although I know that that film was heavily, heavily meddled in by the studio. I'm not a big Scream fan. I like it. I respect it. I'm not a big fan. Um, but that would kick off the big horror boom of the late 90s. The slashers would come back. And really, frankly, horror got up on its feet. And I don't know that it's ever gotten off its feet uh, from that. I think horror's been in a pretty good place from then on. If slashers would fade, then zombies would come up. If zombies would fade, then demons would come up. 
If demons would fade, then zombies might have another shot. Um, you know, serial killer movies, horror's been in a pretty good place lately, and... I think right now the big thing is ghosts. Ghosts are a big thing. Horror's in a good place. I think, you know, and also with video on demand, bypassing theaters doesn't look as bad as it used to. Um, a number of very good movies started on video on demand and then would get theatrical runs. I've referenced The Babadook too many times for it to have any more meaning. Let's just leave it at that. Watch it. Just watch it. That's the, Watch it. It's but it, great. But it was a VOD movie. Horror's in a good place. Um, as I said, Freddy got his remake in 2010, but I don't really want to talk about that. I want to talk about Freddy vs. Jason real quick, because I do want to tell people... It's funny that after all those tries, what they wound up doing was probably the smartest thing they could have done, which was just a straightforward film in both franchises, a movie that pared both franchises down to the bare essences. So it's the first half is set in Springwood, the, the last half at Camp Crystal Lake. There's references to some of the other locations in the, in the franchises. It really pares it down about as thin as it can get them. Which is the and the idea is so simple. Freddy has lost all of his power, and Jason um, he decides to use Jason to kill the kids in Springwood and get the legend of Freddy coming back. The problem is that Jason starts to kill others for him. He starts to kill others and starts to take away his victims, and that's where Freddy and Jason start to have their rivalry. And finally, they will go head to head in an all-out brawl at the end of the movie. It's a pretty simple film, and damn it, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I really don't know that you could have made this movie any simpler than this, and, and that's why I think it worked. There was also a sequel comic book series based on a proposed treatment for a sequel that did not get made that would have pit Freddy and Jason versus Ash. That's awesome. I have that miniseries. It is awesome. It did spawn a sequel that I have yet to read, but I'm telling you, that one is good oh we're about to cover in january with beck yeah in january we're going to be hitting on ash but i mean that's kind of my i mean that's kind of where i have to leave things is jason x is good freddy versus jason is good new nightmare is extremely good and the original nightmare on elm street's worth checking out yeah i mean i really honestly i just really recommend this film it's on netflix so it's easy to watch I just recommend it. I mean, if you're an alert cinephile, you're really going to find a lot to enjoy about it. So, yeah. which one's on Netflix? New Nightmare. Is it really? Yeah, it's on. That's how I had to watch it. Ultimately, my DVD was scratched. So, ah, I went through all the trouble of doing. The I know, I know, I know. I didn't. Uh... I didn't know it until the day that I didn't know it until the day that I watched it. Damn. Ah. Uh... Well, the good thing is that uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is now in for me at the library, so I can, I could mine it and the Netflix copy of New Nightmare for clips. So, that's that's actually pretty good news. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's my that's my thoughts on the film. I'm I enjoy it and I recommend it. And yeah, yeah, it's it's great. So, what's up next? What is up next? Oh, oh, this is fun uh we have a guest cast next i okay some backstory uh this april i volunteered at or i volunteered last year for the uh kansas city film fest so i'm doing it again this year that's actually what i'm gonna be doing after i 
after we get off this cast is watch some more short films. I'm I volunteered to be a screener. They had a feature from two guys out of Shreveport, Louisiana, and it's called the Paranormals. They have it up on YouTube now. Uh, they were you know wondering how they're going to distribute that, and I got in touch with them about a month ago, and like yeah, we, you know, because I I had talked to them a little bit after I went to the screening, and yeah, that was that was the film's debut. That was nice. I guess they've kind of recut some of it from the version I saw, so it'll be like seeing it with fresh eyes. It'll be nice seeing it again. Yeah, we're gonna be interviewing those guys. They're gonna come on as well as some of the cast. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be a very fun special cast for us next week. It's great because you know it'll be a film that you, our listeners, will be able to watch. So this nice little fun independent film. So, well, let's let, let's go down the rundown. Yes, you can find this on our main blog at thefilmroom.podbean.com. That's the source of the cast. Uh, something I kind of failed to mention, uh, but I kind of do need to, is that uh, Podbean has an Android app. And they have for a couple months. And uh, there's no more direct way to listen. If you don't want to listen to it on your computer or don't want to go through trouble actually trying to download it to your device, and there's an Android Podbean app. You know, it'll be... It'll be there as soon as we upload it. You can find us on our side blog where we do nostalgia and a lot of other writings at thefoamroomlobby.wordpress.com. And Austin has a... That's where you posted your... Um, the initial post for yeah. the Little Rock Theaters, yeah, right? Yeah, Little Rock Cinema History. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, check that out. That's, that's something that I'm working on slowly but surely. So Yeah, and he's uncovered some fascinating stuff he also has a facebook group for that yeah is that public or do you have to be invited to that it's it's public but i don't have the address right here so that's cool yeah just look for like little rock theaters i'm sure you'll find it little rock cinema history is the name of it so but yeah speaking of facebook you can find this on facebook like us there we are about roughly 40 away from 500 yeah and we keep getting new likes which is Excellent. We love you guys. Yeah, um, yeah facebook.com slash the film room. So you can find us on our Twitter uh, at film room cast. I am at permanent man PRD. Austin is at untitled user. And we have a secret Twitter, which is active. Mm-hmm. It'll pay off if you're paying attention. It'll pay off. Yes. Yep. It's an Easter egg. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. And of course, the Patreon. We're still in the $20 mark, uh, looking to get to 30 and um, yeah, the weekly has been going great. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun. We are, yes. Yeah, but thank you, thank you, Daisy, thank you, Bridget, thank you, Sean from Natoli, thank you, Sheila, uh, thank you, Nathan. Yep. For your continued support, it means a lot to us. It does. Yeah, we're going to have a blast. I love it. Oh, and that's patreon.com slash thefilmworm. I also have to plug, I was on Will's podcast, uh, Cthulhu on Parade, just yesterday, and I think he's going to post the first part of that around midweek, so I'll probably post that with this. Sounds good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, talk to you next week, guys. Happy Halloween. Sleep well.